another fine day at Camp Dynasty. I am Counselor Austin, joined by Counselor Colin, and we're talking about week 10 of college football. Double digits, baby. I was going to say, we're in the double digits. We're late in the season. We're far beyond the point where we can say, oh, small sample size. Yep. You know, we got an appropriate sample size on a lot of players. You know, we got receivers eclipsing a thousand yards. We are in, a, you know, playoff push time for college football, man. We sure are. And I mentioned last week, you started to think a little bit more and more every single week about the class as a whole, as a big picture, because we're not all that far away now from having to really switch gears and start thinking about things holistically. And I mean, it's been an incredible season. We've had some incredible players on the top end of this class. I mean, I think by now uh, we are sort of uh, with an understanding that this wide receiver class is really, really special. I mean, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but now get the end of college football in in your sights and it's like yeah this isn't slowing down anytime soon we're going to be talking about a few of the top receivers this week colin and there is my segue to you my friend because you won the coin toss again this week and which receiver are we starting the show with i want to take the leading receiver in all of college football uh, he has eclipsed the thousand yard mark. He is who I was referencing at the top there. 1,152 yards on the season. Malik Neighbors had 171 against Alabama. 16 targets, 10 receptions, and then add a touchdown on top just to, you know, put a little whipped cream on it. So, I mean, Neighbors has been consistently dominant all season. Uh, goes out against a SEC opponent. I don't know about the Alabama of old that we may have talked about, but a, a good team nonetheless. I mean, a team that put up 48 against them and beat them. I mean, the defense, again, isn't what it used to be, but either way, Malik Neighbors was getting open early and often against this team he had another one of those take the top off the defense plays that we reference so often when we talk about neighbors he just caught a db flat-footed you know he got just ran straight at him got on his toes and then broke to the post and the guy was just standing there like i don't know if he thought he had safety help but he chased him and it wasn't even close and neighbors walked in and i mean daniel's I wanted to have a conversation about Jaden Daniels, but we'll leave it with Malik Neighbors for now. This was a big game. It's a very big game, and yeah, like you said, I mean, this has been a special player this year. I think coming into the year, based on his 2022 film, we've talked about this quite a bit, where he came into the year as a player that we were both really excited about, and I think over the course of this season, he has shown you everything that you wanted to see and a lot more from Malik neighbors like this is I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago and we did meet a midseason check-in and Keon Coleman was above neighbors for both of us and I am still very like back and forth it's on that neck right and now. neck man 
I neighbors route running chops are just so, so good. And he wins at every level on the field. You mentioned these, the deep plays has been all year. Another one in this game. And I mean, but he, he does all the little things too underneath stuff, short routes. I mean, he is everywhere. He knows how to win everywhere. And the play in this game that I really liked from neighbors was the play again along the sideline uh, where he like morphed his foot to like get it back in bounds on that. I, I, I don't even remember what the, what the play was exactly. It was later in the game, but they went to replay to see, and it was just like the awareness against the sideline to keep his feet in bounds. I mean, every week he shows you everything you want to see out of a wide receiver And it's really hard for me at this point to put another player other than Marvin Harrison Jr. above him in this class. And something we've talked about every time we talk about Malik Neighbors is how lethal he is as a slot receiver. And LSU has been putting him in positions to succeed throughout the season. This game, he played 77% of his snaps out of the slot. And he had his second most productive game of the season outside of the Mississippi State game. And there's a little bit of a talent discrepancy when talking about Mississippi State and Alabama. So when you talk about who he's playing against, where he's doing it, how he's getting it done, Neighbors is just a complete wide receiver. And, I mean, he's going to fill a gap for an NFL team. He's going to be taking the top off. Uh, this is a, a little bit Addison-esque, I'd say, where he's got the complete package, except Neighbors is also big. Yeah. And so, like, he, he has just, like, uh, he's like Jordan Addison on, like, a power-up mushroom <laughs> <laughs> from Mario. That's what I keep – coming back to with this class and especially when we think about last year's class with the receivers where it was like there was always something about those guys and a lot of the players this year man it's just they're it's really hard to find weaknesses with these top players I mean neighbors is one of these guys where it's like he's got the size box checked he's got the speed box checked he's got the route running checked He's got really good hands. He's been really good in contested situations for the last two years. I mean, he really is a complete wide receiver prospect. It's why I think he's going to be a really high draft pick come April. And I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see where he ends up, what the, you know, will he be that sort of, you know, number one in an offense. I think back to it. I'm getting way ahead of myself here, but I think back to like Devonte Smith where he gets drafted and then they kind of bring in AJ Brown. Like, can we project Malik neighbors to be a number one? Is he, or is he that like lethal number two? That's kind of where I'm at right now in my like analysis, trying to figure out what he is. But I, I don't think there's anything that he has shown us this year that says he cannot be the featured piece of an offense. So I'm going to work through something because I'm trying to figure out how to say this where it's not confusing. So, okay. He he makes at least one big play a game. And I, I just want to talk about his longest play of the game. So in every game, he's had a play of at least 21 yards. And, I mean, that's crazy in and of itself. But in all but two games, 
his he's had at least a 30 yard game in every game but two which is just nuts i mean that taking the top off the defense is great but doing it as consistently as neighbors does it proves that it's more than just scheme getting him open broken coverages it is every single game consistently because of his speed and his route running yeah, and as and, you know, I, I say the words Devontae Smith, and you're saying Jordan Addison. I mean, what's the common denominator there? Size. Yep. Neighbors has that, like exactly. we said. So, yeah, it, it's pretty clear, I think, that he is a special talent, one that is being perhaps overshadowed. I mean, we certainly overshadowed. Yes, yeah. But I think in a different situation, there's even more appreciation for the level of talent that Neighbors is. So, 100%. All right, let's keep talking about wide receivers. And I got one who, uh, wait a minute, hold on a second. Press pause. Did we get a badge for neighbors? Smooth operator. Smooth operator. All right. We, I, didn't, I didn't say it. Okay. I apologize to the people. No, it's okay. I just, I. It's a good catch. We've been getting very excited the last few weeks. It's and true. I think we've missed a few. So I'm going to try to get ahead sure of ourselves we, a little yeah, bit. The, <laughs> Little neighbors is just sitting out there like, what? Where's my badge? Like, yeah, why are you guys talking about me? I didn't get a badge yet. Like sitting at the podium, just talking yeah. about him, and he's like, "Can I come up?" And get my badge. <laughs> just getting carried away. Uh, all right, Trey Harris. That's the player that I'm talking about this week. A player who has been on this program several times this year, but certainly not one that has the. Uh, recognition of Malik Neighbors in this class. And, I mean, there's a reason for that. We just gushed about Neighbors for a little while. Trey Harris, though, I think is going to be one of my guys in this class. And I think he's a player right now that is very under the radar because his season has been a little bit up and down. He was injured for a short time, and then he kind of – ebbs and flows a little bit we'll get these explosion weeks and then he'll kind of take a few weeks of that you know 40 50 yards those kind of players kind of get lost sometimes in a very busy packed college football schedule with a lot of talented wide receivers Trey Harris is a player that we've been talking about since week one since that four touchdown game when he got a badge here at Camp Dynasty and I haven't forgotten him and I know you haven't forgotten him either this week, though, he is getting the Showtime badge from me because I can't say that in 10 weeks of 2023 camp reports that I have gone to watch some tape on a guy to get ready for the show and seen something as consistently electrifying as Trey Harris's game this week against Texas A&M. He had... 11 catches on 14 targets for 213 yards and one touchdown. Every single one of those numbers uh, that I said, besides the touchdowns, was a season high. So he's getting more worked in. He's getting more productive. This is a big game against Texas A&M. And he was just on it, man. I mean, the one thing I'll say is that you didn't see a ton of route variety. And, I mean, this is also a product of the Ole Miss scheme. 
They're not asking these guys to do a lot in this offense, but that has been something that has been consistent for a while. And we've seen these players, Jonathan Mingo, just one year ago, get drafted, then maybe you're even higher than you're even ready for, given the fact that they're kind of raw in what they're being asked to do there. In this game, it was a lot of go routes, and when he wasn't going deep, it was like a slant. He was operating in this very limited framework, but every single thing that he did in this game was electrifying. He had crazy catches. He had a one-handed catch that was breathtaking. I mean, everything he did, it was like, holy crap, like that was a highlight, and that happened like seven times for Trey Harris in this game. It's interesting because usually Trey Harris is lethal over the middle of the field. A lot of his production in the season has come over the middle. I mean, he's got his highest total is in the intermediate center of the field, and that's 179 yards. But in this game, he was just dominant on the perimeter against all kinds of coverage. I mean, Jackson Dart was just throwing it up to him, and he was coming down with it often and you you mentioned the one-handed catch I mean he had I think two catches in double coverage where the the guys didn't stand a chance and I I was shocked because you you think of Trey Harris one way it's like he's you know a, a, a fun player that can you know get it done after the catch and like Every once in a while, goes up and makes a really impressive contested catch. He's an athletic receiver. And then you see this game, and it's like, oh, all right, he can just do everything. And he's, like, making spectacular catch after spectacular catch. I mean, you go and you watch the the highlights from this game, and it's literally just all Trey Harris (laughs) on on Ole Miss's offense. Like, every single play – if you go turn it on right now, it'll be Trey Harris, Trey Harris, Judkins touchdown. And then once we get back around to Ole Miss's offense, Trey Harris will have another two plays. And it's like, what is happening? Like, am I watching his highlights or is this the entire offense? And he was the entire offense in this game. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't uh he, hard to miss in yeah. this game. Like this and and that's why I think as the season is going on, we're going to start to see more and more people start to be like, "Wait a minute. This Trey Harris guy, what's his story?" Yep. Cuz like you said, man, he has shown a lot of different skills this year. I mean, we um, the last time we talked about he was getting the shifty badge for his work is short area stuff where he's making guys miss and then you got the game winning touchdown that week. Uh, and now it's like outside releases where he is just destroying guys. Yeah. And so this is a pretty complete player from what I've seen. And one that I think is going to be uh, valued in this very strong and deep wide receiver class. And just to touch one more time on the variety of skills that this player has his last 100 yard game which was week eight at auburn he played 84 percent of his snaps in the slot which was an anomaly but he turned it into four catches for 102 yards so you can see that 
Harris is somebody that can get it done. That's the only game where he played slot receiver. Very weird. It's just like, yeah, just like randomly they just threw him in the slot and he puts out a bucko too. And it's like, okay, yeah, we're just not going to do that again. Yeah. (laughs) Which is strange, but in this uh, game against A&M, it worked out pretty okay, I'd say. I would say so, yeah. All right, let's keep talking about wide receivers, man. Who's the next one? The next one is a guy that we've also given a badge earlier in the season, and that's Xavier Leggett out of South Carolina. Uh, he played Jacksonville State this this week, so I'll I'll preface the conversation with that. You know, take it as you will, but he's getting the Combine Warrior badge because he's six three two twenty seven and he can run, man. So. Uh, He's going to be having some eyes on him once combine time comes around. You know, senior bowl season rolls around. I don't know what you need to do to be eligible for the senior bowl, but he's in his fifth year. So I feel like do you he'll get be an, there. Do you get an invite if you're like oh, yeah. a super senior? Oh, yeah. Okay. They they snatch him up. You know. They'll even invite some juniors if yeah. they're notable enough. So we'll get, he'll, he'll be getting eyes on him once uh, – you know, we get get around there in February, March, and uh, he was just burning people, man. And he he's just such an interesting player because he's got so many traits, and he hasn't been he's been a boom bust player this year, kind of similar to Trey Harris, how we just talked about. But like the boom games are, you know, a buck seventy eight, a buck eighty nine, two seventeen in this game where. He is just completely dominant, and he gets to assert his physical traits on the other team. So I don't know exactly what to think about him, but he's a fun player to watch right now. Yeah, interesting back-to-backs here with Trey Harris and Xavier Legat. Two SEC receivers that are breaking out a little bit this year, guys that weren't necessarily on the radar coming into the season. Uh, Trey Harris, 6'2", 205. Xavier Leggett, 6'3", 227, and Leggett's faster. Yeah. That's the crazy thing. And I think that's, you know, the, we talk about the boom-bust nature of both of these players a little bit this year. Trey Harris has given you a little bit more of that yak sort of over-the-middle stuff, like you said. Leggett is just like a straight-up dominant, like, deep-threat receiver at 225. Like, that's what he is. He's a and he's a contested catch guy. Like he's one of these like prototypical X players that I don't exactly know what the ceiling like the NFL ceiling. Like what is his role? Yeah. Like is he a guy that can be that like complete, you know, number one receiver in an offense? Or is he more of just the guy that does what he does really well? And that's that that's good enough, honestly. I mean, it's like for a player of this size to be this fast and you know, eight contested catches on 16 opportunities this year only one drop throughout this entire season and then you know against this feeble competition he shows you exactly (laughs) what he is like i'm an nfl player and yeah um so yeah he's another interesting guy there's a few of these that i think it'll be when we get into you know trying to rank these receivers and we're thinking about it in terms of dynasty. So it's like, what can I project you to be in an offense? Can you be a guy that, you know, we're projecting to have that sort of a role that's going to be like very, very fantasy relevant. 
Uh, Leggett is a player that I'm, I'm interested to dive into the film and see what kind of stuff does he have outside of just the size speed combo. Yeah. Cause like I said before, it's like the traits are there, but is there any polish behind it? Cause that's really how you're going to end up getting on the field. You know, is he doing any of the little things or is this just like eye popping plays because of his athleticism? And so uh, you you can't take a ton of stock in the Jacksonville State game, but he's still like the fastest man alive at six three two thirty. So that, that that's something that matters to me. I have it nine hundred seventy three yards receiving this year too. That's he's right. been very productive uh, this season. So and that's against North Carolina, Mississippi State. He's had big games. Florida, those are real teams. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely a real player. And we'll find out exactly how high the NFL values his rare combination. But uh, I've had a lot of fun talking about wide receivers here to start this one. But let's talk about a running back. And how about a player that is becoming maybe the running back? Because we talked about him last week. And I said back-to-back games that he's played. He's gotten a badge. Well, let's make it three straight for Travion Henderson because he's here, man. He He's 100% back. Like, they're giving him the ball. Another week here, 22 carries after the 24 carries last week. Like, he is fully back into this offense, and he looks like the player that we all remember. We talked, this is, this is deja vu from last week. We're going to have the same damn conversation because <laughs> I'm giving him the time traveler badge. He's going back in time here to a time when he was predestined to be the number one running back of his draft eligible season. And that's, I think uh, the trajectory that we're on here because we've been talking all year. Who's the running back? Who's the guy who's going to seize hold of this thing? And Now we see another week here, like I said, 22 carries, 128 yards with a touchdown. But, oh, by the way, how about five catches on five targets for 80 yards? This is the Travion that we remember. He's the rushing threat. He's the receiving threat. He's explosive. He's fast. I mean, he's doing everything right now, and when you watch these games, he looks like that player. In this game, he was... He looked like a man on a mission that was like sick of being on the sideline, and he was punishing Rutgers defenders. We we talked a lot about the finesse and the explosion and the the elusiveness last week in the game against Wisconsin. In this game, he was dealing some real blows to Rutgers defenders. I mean, there was a fourth and one where he just plowed through a guy to get that one yard and. I mean, that's not something that you see a ton out of Henderson. I mean, he is more of a finesse runner, but I don't know what it was in this game, but he was just a man possessed, and it did seem a little bit like that uh, 2021 Travion that we were looking for. And again, we go back to the missed tackles force number, and it's at six, which is the number he reached last week. And, I mean it kind of tells the story. He he wasn't there really early in the season. He wasn't making a ton of people miss. He was just kind of, he was recovering from the injury that he had last season. And then he gets another injury this season. 
and it just seems like he is frustrated with the the amount of time that he's been sitting on the bench and he is taking it out on the opposing players on the field so i mean it's a, a joy to have a guy that i mean should be a running back one in this class and he was like you said predestined to be the rb1 in this class living up to that name yeah I the power was he was running violently in this game. There were a few really intense hits that he put on defenders and then like you said as well, still elusive as all hell. Um three missed tackles forced as a receiver as well. So nine total missed there tackles forced in this game. And in the last two weeks, we talked about, you know, six on the ground last week, six this week, so we got twelve total missed tackles forced in the last two weeks how about five runs of 15 plus yards in the last two weeks and that's not even counting the 50 yard reception that he had in this game so he is explosive as hell he's making huge plays he's being a playmaker he's being a very dynamic presence and he's changing this offense like we said last week Kyle McCord still not <laughs> the player that they need there, but they're number one ranked. And there's, you know, there's reasons for that. Obviously Marvin Harrison jr. Good defense. Travion is arriving at the right time here. As we approach the college football playoff, he is adding another element to this offense. And that is a very exciting prospect for Ohio state fans. Let's talk about a new name in the running back room. Keep them coming, man. Travion. He, he's a little bit of the, you know, He's been here. He's been around camp. We've said his name a few times. Let's talk about Phil Maffa. This is a running back out of Clemson. Uh, he is kind of new to this. He's definitely he's new to the program. I'll say that straight up. Uh, we called home about Will Shipley, who is the other Clemson running back that we talked about in the preseason. Uh, Shipley goes down with an injury in the NC State game. Maffa comes in in relief, ends up with 16 for 84 and two touchdowns in the NC State game, and then plays full-time in this Notre Dame game. And he has 35 carries, talk about a workload, a buck 88 and two touchdowns. And he looked really good doing it. Uh, this is... I mean, I was a little skeptical because it's like, uh, what, you know, if he's this good, why is he not getting the ball? Like, why does Clemson have him on ice? Uh, he's a junior, so we don't know if he's going to declare. So I'll put that out there also. We don't know if he's going to be in the 2024 NFL draft. But if he's going to take this job and be, you know, the number one back on Clemson putting up this kind of numbers, I wouldn't be surprised if he's, you know, attending – the draft come April, but I breaking tackles, running strong, and then running away from people on occasion. What do you think about Mafa? I was really impressed by Mafa in this game. A uh, little bit of background too here. I mean, he is a true junior as well. This is a 2021 player, four-star recruit, 11th ranked running back in that class. So there is a pedigree here. Uh, obviously goes to a premier program in Clemson, and he's got the size box checked in a huge way. 6'1", 230s, tall, and he's big. And he runs very 
not like a player that is 230 pounds. Like oh, yeah. he's explosive. He's quick. He'll cut on a dime. He was making guys miss in short areas in this game. It was really impressive. And I think, I mean, he's obviously behind Will Shipley, who is one of the better running backs in college football, even though this has been a bit of a down year. He was very productive last year when Maffa was a true sophomore. I think if if I was a betting man, I would say that Phil Maffa comes back to Clemson and puts on a, a show next year as the guy. That's my bet here because he's been very productive in the last two weeks, and there is a certainly a possibility that this continues – you know, I don't I don't exactly know the severity of Shipley's injury. Yeah, lower leg injury. Okay. Yep. Classic. So <laughs> we have a lot of information to work with there. But depending on how many games he misses, I mean, if Mafa is stepping into this role for the remainder of the season and he puts a half of a season's worth of tape out there and it looks like this, then yeah, I mean we can we can talk, but I think right now he's just such a new presence in, you know, for for everybody who needs to figure out like who is this player. I mean, last year he did have 515 yards, four touchdowns as a true sophomore on this offense and uh you know, already greatly surpassed that this year, 630 yards, eight touchdowns. So he's he's improving year after year and now we see what he looks like as the guy and the tape looked great. So I don't exactly know what that means in terms of, you know, will he declare in this draft as an underclassman? Will he come back? But I can tell you this. If he comes back, he's going to be very, very high on my watch list coming into the season next year, even in a loaded running back class. I have a correction on Shipley. He had a lower leg injury earlier this season. He is in concussion protocol. Oh, okay. So that is why he missed the game. So uh, he – they're saying he'll likely be back for week 11. Um, so uh, Mafa's starting gig might be short-lived, but uh, and it's probably you know wise to say that he will likely stay in school and then be the guy next year uh, alone in this backfield or heading the backfield. But I, I just thought it was a good name to get you know in the ears and get into your mind, and it, we'll see. I like that he's in my mind now. Me too. Because I like thinking about him. He's a pretty damn good player. And I like it when we get to see Clemson players be good. That's true. Big win this week. Let's talk about another one. I got you. I'm there. I'm not going to miss it. I'm not playing my four minutes this week. I'm playing 12 minutes this week. I'm <laughs> catching right. my alley-oops. <laughs> Jeremiah Trotter Jr., that's the player we're talking about next. Another Clemson player, big win against Notre Dame this week, and it was star power on both sides of the ball, fueling it. Jeremiah Trotter Jr. is a player that we were both very high on coming into this season as an IDP. I believe, if I'm thinking back correctly, he was IDP 2 for both of us. I know he was my IDP 2 coming into the year, but... Regardless. I don't remember that far back. Was, yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's a long time ago, man. <laughs> Whatever. I I'll tell you, he was my uh, IDP two, and he was my linebacker one. And um, 
it we haven't really talked about him uh, we haven't talked about him this is the first time he's getting a badge here this season but he's been having a good year it's not that he has regressed or anything crazy like that it's just you get these IDPs in when they really do something crazy and that's what happened in this game uh i got the 1v11 badge for Jeremiah Trotter Jr. because he was single-handedly taking on the 11 offensive players for Notre Dame and winning. Uh, it seemed like every single play, every phase of the game was being affected uh, by Jeremiah Trotter Jr. In this game, he had, are you ready for this? Three sacks, three sacks as an off-ball linebacker. Five stops. He was targeted twice in pass in the pass game. He only allowed one catch of those two for only five yards. And he had a pick six. He was a dominating force on this defense in this game and played a huge part in how they pulled off this big upset. Trotter was my IDP too. I just went back and checked to check the, you know. Uh, he had two sacks in this game. He had one fake PFF sack, just so you know. We count those. We Right, we count if those. If Pro Football Focus says it's true, <laughs> it must be true. So we count them. Well, uh, he also had seven solo tackles, which is just incredible. I, I'm trying to total in my brain – how many IDP fantasy points this would total out to be. Yep. Uh, it would be a substantial number, obviously, because he had a touchdown, he had a pick, I mean, two sacks. I mean, this would just be a superstar performance. And I don't think we've had – last year we lacked a linebacker. Uh, we only – I mean, Jack Campbell was the guy here as a, the LB1, but he – I mean – you know, it wasn't like the highly touted prospect. No. And the year before that, I'm trying to think too, there was like Quay Walker was interesting, but didn't really know the role. And Nicobe Dean was there. And, you know, but Trotter seems, please. There, there has not been a bona fide linebacker prospect since Micah Parsons. And, right. and honestly, Jamin Davis, I think, got kind of bucketed in that class too. But we see the two trajectories of, yeah. of players' careers right there. And Trotter is the best one we've had in a while. It's a, the point that I'm getting to because he is just absolutely dominant. He's everywhere. And this game was the you know microcosm of the rest of the season of what he has done throughout the season and i mean watching clemson just to watch 54 fly around on defense is absolutely worth it like if nothing else it's worth it for that and he single-handedly froze this notre dame offense like you said 1v11 this this notre dame team ranked 15 at the time was I mean, dominating everybody on the ground. They were making easy plays through the air. And Trotter just 
stonewalled Sam Hartman on a run. He had two sacks. He was speeding up this Notre Dame process and uh, got the pick six. So this was a really, really impressive individual defensive game all around for Trotter. Here's the thing about Trotter, though. If you are plugged in enough to the NFL draft and if you're already, you know, if you're a maniac and you're already consuming NFL draft content in November, this is not a player that you're going to see going in first round mock drafts right now because here's why. Here's why I think this is happening. He's a little bit undersized. And this is something that we talked about before the season. And I, you know, we kind of talked about how is he undersized, you know, in today's NFL, like is, is this really undersized six foot two thirty at an off ball linebacker? Cause a lot of guys are getting lighter every year. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing where it's like, eh, whatever, like, okay, he's a little bit smaller. Uh, the, where that does show up a little bit and it did show up in this game, his strength when he when a lineman engages him and specifically in the run game, if a lineman is run blocking Trotter does have those reps where he just gets straight, straight up overpowered. Like the strength to get off those blocks is not always there. So that's the kind of thing that I think when you look at a player and you see, Oh, he's a little bit undersized. He's a little bit, maybe a, I'm not even going to call him a questionable, questionable run defender. Cause he's not, but Maybe there's some questionable, you know, strength there with with Trotter. Why I don't care about it at all from an IDP perspective is the fact that he has this playmaker gene. And a lot of that comes down to his instincts. He has phenomenal instincts in all phases of the game. And especially in pass coverage. I, I think back to a player like Logan Wilson, who's a player coming out of Wyoming that I liked quite a bit and it was his instincts and pass coverage that kind of had you saying okay this guy could be a crazy IDP asset if if he's getting picks and he's getting a lot of tackles and what have we seen from Logan Wilson in, in his first four years in the league he's got a ton of picks as a linebacker he makes big plays in that spot and oh by the way he's also a tackle machine so I think when you and 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 I think Trotter's even better than Wilson was. I mean, he's a he's got more roundness to his game. Wilson 245, Trotter Jr. 230. That's the difference right there. And we're going to find out how the NFL values him in terms of, you know, will a player of this size be uh, you know, a higher day 2 sort of a pick or where does he end up going? And that's going to tell us a lot in terms of, you know, when we get to the IDP rankings process, it is very heavily influenced by the NFL because there is just no way to get around that from an IDP perspective. We're going to find out exactly where Trotter lands when we get to that point. But in terms of the talent, man, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and worry about it right now just because you're not seeing them in the first round of your mock drafts, whatever. This guy's got a lot to offer and especially for IDP purposes. I think people are also scared to, uh, like, mock a linebacker in the first round, especially an off-ball linebacker in the first round, just because, number one, it's rare, and number two, it doesn't work out a ton of the time. So 
they'd rather just it's like not putting a running back in the first round like it, it's just safe to right. do and he doesn't doing... need to be a first round pick right you know, like that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying like that is what i'm saying okay i think he should be a first round pick because okay. i think that he is the type of talent where he transcends the kind of the group think that we produce where we we think about uh, off-ball linebackers and running backs don't have value. And then you look at the guys that end up getting drafted in the first round. It's the guys with the traits and the special the special traits that end up going in the first round. And I think Trotter has that kind of ability where he should, at very least, be going in the late first round. Because if a guy like Quay Walker is getting drafted in the late first round, who's very good, and can rack up tackles and get stops, and but he's also an athletically gifted. Also, yes. that was a big reason for that, I think. But but he's also worse in pass coverage than Trotter is. Yeah, and so you look at a guy that is also more complete. I think he is deserving of transcending that kind of stigma around off-ball linebackers. Let's talk about. Maybe the player that had the best week in college football, Colin. Yeah, well, let's talk about Dylan Johnson. So this is a a player new to the program. Once again, uh, he is the running back for Washington. And he is getting the efficiency badge. Uh, 10 yards per carry. He just about 9.8. He's got 26 carries. So you do that math real quick. 256 yards on the ground and four touchdowns against USC. I mean, this is just an absolutely bonkers box score. So what does this mean? That That is where this conversation is leading because, you know, we, we go through, we check the box scores, we look at the players, and then we decide what we want to do, who we want to put on the show. And Dylan Johnson is interesting because you look at the box score, it's like, oh, my God. And then you go and watch it to, like, verify it. And it's like, oh, all this production is fake. (laughs) 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 And I guess you could go a step further and look at the opponent in the box score, and maybe you could have assumed that because they played USC, and USC has just a putrid defense. I think they've allowed – 40 points in their last five or six games, something like that. So, I mean, Dylan Johnson was just running rampant on the USC defense. The the one time that you look at Washington's team and it's like, oh, Penix didn't have a huge game. You know, Dunze, McMillan, Polk, all of them kind of were fine. And then you realize that it's because Dylan Johnson put the team – on his back because he was just running through wide open holes and I mean, taking them and going 40, 50 yards, easy walking touchdowns every single time. So, uh, as much as I, I want to sit here and say like, Oh my God, like this is incredible. He had 256 yards, only forced two missed tackles. Like this, this is where you got to separate, the the big games the impressive gaudy numbers from like what is this player who is this guy and 
how good is he actually? What is he doing? Look at you turning a badge into a teachable moment like that. That's really nice because, you know, every now and then we need to stop and recognize great performances. And this was a great performance. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget here. I mean, sometimes you get, I, I mean, I do. I don't know about everybody else, but you get a little desensitized from numbers. You yeah. get a little number like overload and it's like oh 250 yards oh well, that's pretty good and then you're like whoa, whoa, whoa hold on a second 256 yeah. rushing yards that's insane so yes this was a phenomenal game and dylan johnson when you watch the film man you said it perfectly how did he create these yards well it wasn't so much that he was creating them but the, the USC defense is like a sponge, like an extra large, holy sponge. Swiss cheese? Is that better? Should we do that so, analogy? Yeah, let's stick with like one of the classic ones. You know, I just, sieve. the first whole like th- object that I thought of with holes was a sponge, and then I realized that's not really. I would like soak them up, and yeah, that would yeah, be that, a good thing. Okay. Okay. Well, we're going to just abandon this and just say that. The USC defense has allowed the seventh most rushing yards in the entire nation. And when you look at the teams <laughs> that are around them, and it's these are not teams that that are uh, teams that you were talking about every week. So, um, yeah, it is a little bit of a product of circumstance. But let's not also pretend like this player didn't have an exceptional performance in this game. And you know, man, I don't know. He's six foot two eighteen. Flashes some ability. Day three, can we get him? Can we get him? And can we get him into day three? I so you brought up you know bad teams and there's a lot of teams in college football, you know. There's and a lot. then it reminded me of who North Carolina played this week. Do you remember who they played? We we did this. I remember who is uh, it? It's Campbell. Campbell, which isn't real. <laughs> which it's is a, that's a Bishop Sycamore thing. Yeah, right. And it's not. I'm actually looking, and so it was listed as they were zero and zero when I was checking the athletic. They're not zero and zero, but they just haven't played anybody. So, uh, talk about bad teams and who uh, USC is sharing company with, and it is you know six in the nation in yards allowed on the ground when there's teams that may or may not be made up. That's an issue. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, unfortunately a big reason for why we aren't going to get to see Caleb Williams in the college football playoff. We didn't even get close to that this year. but We'll dig deeper into that a little later. We'll talk about USC later in the program. Uh, We have one last badge, though, this week, and uh, I'm going to just – I like this badge name. I'm going to start with this one. How about uh, OK Zoomer? No, all right. I try. <laughs> I gotta. I gotta hear why. Okay, the badge is going to Ad Mitchell, who is a returning name to this program, because uh, he's freaking fast, man. Okay, it's like you see him stretch the field. You're like, okay, Zoomer, you're zooming. Okay. Well, I I'll get better next week. I, I, I can't I can't say it's your best work. I, I I'm an I'm an honest guy. I don't want to you know. I I like that. I like that feedback. You know, we're gonna take that. We're gonna reflect. <laughs> we're gonna get better next week. But what I can tell you 
is that A.D. Mitchell had a phenomenal week against Kansas State. That's the team that they played. Really big game and uh, came down to the wire, came down to overtime. Big reason for them even being in this game and winning this game because Quinn Ewers is hurt and Malik Murphy, that is his name, right? Malik Murphy. I'm checking right now because, yes, it's Malik Murphy. Okay. Redshirt freshman. Yeah. Redshirt freshman, QB2 ahead of Arch Manning, who's a true freshman. So Malik Murphy is the is the player here playing in Ewer's absence. And A.D. Mitchell made his life a little bit easier because Murphy didn't look that great in this game. But when he was throwing to A.D. Mitchell, he looked not too bad. Eight catches for A.D. on 11 targets, 149 yards, and a touchdown Four touchdowns for A.D. Mitchell in the last three weeks. I mean, this guy is still a touchdown machine. We That was the narrative early in the season. All he does is catch touchdowns. Now he's like a featured piece of this offense, and he's still catching touchdowns at an unbelievable rate. Um, but, yeah, my poor attempt at a badge name is just this guy is freaking fast. 6'4", just shy of 200 pounds, and he can absolutely – fly he will be one of the premier deep threats in this class yeah him and xavier worthy on this offense is i mean stresses a defense out Uh, you got to protect every blade of grass when you're playing against this offense and i just want to say ad mitchell has one of the most out of control wide receiver aesthetics out of anybody (laughs) in college football i mean just i I know it's not important, it's not scouting, but the F7 helmet, the number five, I mean, it looks awesome. And him running down the field, routing people up. I was just hoping he'd be good after he had his uh, big game earlier in the season where we gave him his first badge. I was like, oh, my God, this guy looks like a good (laughs) wide receiver. I hope he's good. And it's been up and down through the season, but like you said, he's becoming more featured and he was dominant in this week 10 game. And I, I like him a little more than I like Xavier worthy. I know I the, the, I don't want this to turn into him, you know, versus, but you know, they're teammates and that's how it goes. And Xavier worthy is the highly touted guy entering the season. I think, uh, but I think Mitchell is a little more well-rounded than Worthy. And, I mean, we've been lower on Worthy, like, the whole way. I mean, I even coming into the year, I think we had our concerns about Worthy, and then it just so happens that he's kind of getting passed by by a player on his own team in A.D. Mitchell, a player that has the size that Worthy doesn't have and has the hands that Worthy doesn't have. And while Worthy might be a a little bit faster because he's 30 pounds lighter, AD Mitchell's not far off in terms of speed. So he's a fun player. I mean, like you said, he's a little bit hit or miss. He kind of is a quintessential deep threat player. And so what does that mean for fantasy? I don't know, but I just think the NFL is going to covet his size and speed. And so we're going to have to talk about him and think about him in that way uh, in a few months. What I would like is to see him be a better contested catch player. And he doesn't get a ton of opportunities. He's only had eight contested targets all season. He's hauled in three of them. But 
with the size, I mean, he's 6'4", almost 200 pounds. That's, I mean, a size where you could go up and get a couple jump balls. So I, I would, I'd like to see them work that part of his game a little more just for my sake of scouting so I can know if he's a good contested catch guy or, or not because that would make my life a little easier. Yeah, it is interesting when you think about the size here because I, career-wise, 12 for 27 on contested catches, which isn't bad. I mean, 44%, that's not terrible. But, uh, I mean, I just think of a player like Troy Franklin who is actually a little bit lighter than A.D. Mitchell. But, like, just from, like, my own perception of the players, like, watching them play, Franklin looks like the bigger player. <laughs> like, right. Mitchell is, like, thin. He stretches the field. He's more of a deep threat. Franklin is a, a player that also can stretch the field, but he goes up and, and uses that frame really effectively. And that's not something you see A.D. Mitchell do a ton. But, um, yeah, it would be an interesting player to dive into the tape, I think, and, and kind of clear up, you know, what, what does it look like outside of these big games that he's had. He has the same exact contested catch percentage as Marvin Harrison Jr. Better player? Same player. Mark. Yeah, same player at least. Uh, I mean, he's faster. <laughs> there it is. Uh, we debunked it. The Marvin Harrison <laughs> agenda. I think we solved it. Here we go. Uh, but I was just going to – I brought up uh, three players similar size, A.D. Mitchell, Marvin Harrison, Troy Franklin. And Troy Franklin only has three contested catches all year. Which we talked about we did when talk we talked about, about Franklin that, yeah. last. Um, Marvin obviously is an anomaly, and then uh, Ad Mitchell, uh, he's he's doing fine. But I just want to see him get more opportunities. I get it, I get it. Let's feed him quarterback. Maybe that plays a little bit of a part in it too. But uh, maybe. All right, we alluded to this. This is going to be an interesting one. It's time to go to the phone here. We're going to make the call home. This one is about Caleb Williams. We're calling the Williams family. Um, I'm just going to come out right and say it. I'm not, I'm not really even call. Well, it's a little bit. I'm not really calling about his performance against Washington. I mean, he played fine against Washington. This was not his, like, this was not bad, necessarily bad tape. I'm calling because we just need to have a conversation about what has been going on over the last several weeks because that chatter is just getting louder and louder every single week. And I think we all need to just level set, talk about it. What's going on here? So what is going on here, Colin? Um, what's going on is USC is losing games and the, they've lost their opportunity to go to the college football playoff. And that is falling on Caleb Williams shoulder as the leader and quarterback of this team. Uh, the big picture is his, play style and his attitude which is what's being brought up as the knocks on Caleb Williams this season uh he is a little reckless which is normally a good thing because it turns into big plays but 
uh, it's also turned into some bad place. And uh, I know that you wanted to talk about the fumbling that Caleb Williams has, the ball security. Um, but just the the timeliness that he plays with, the internal clock, it's just it feels like it's got to speed up a little bit. And uh, people, you know, it, it, it's fine to be arrogant when you're winning, and I like it when you're losing too. But as soon as you start losing and you have the same attitude that you had when you're winning – then people kind of flip on you. So uh, there, there's a, a little bit of a you know nesting doll kind of situation where Caleb Williams, the 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 chosen one, the Heisman, the number one pick, came in, and as soon as people love you and respect you and you know want you to succeed and are excited to see you play they are that quick to tear you down as soon as you start showing cracks. We talked about the Notre Dame game when it happened. I mean, the three picks and the world, you know, melts down and, you know, that was one thing. Okay. Like we came away from that saying, why are we judging his entire body of work on this one bad performance? And I think now as the season, you know, is getting closer to being over and we have to really start thinking about this class again, I I am ready to say at least that we should not hold Caleb Williams at this like untouchable status anymore. Like he deserves criticism just like any player in this class deserves it. And why I've been so firm in saying, you know, let's not do this, let's not overthink this, is because of the the best moments on Caleb Williams' tape is, like, the best moments that you're going to see from quarterbacks. Like, that's just plain and simple. That's how it is. And you don't want to get lost in – the details sometimes when it's kind of just hitting you across the face, like this guy has arm talent that is rare and he has an ability to make plays with his arm. That is very rare. What I want to talk about here is something that I I think is at this point, I mean, it's his fatal flaw. It's, it's something that is going to affect his, like when you're analyzing him, when you're grading him, like when you think about his profile, the fumbles are going to have to be a conversation because we talked about the fact that he will hold the ball too long. He will backpedal. He will try to create for as long as he possibly can. And that's going to work sometimes. Some of his best plays, some of the plays that we sit here and say, oh my God, it's him escaping pressure, buying time, just hitting a dot down the field. The times that we're not talking about as much are the times where he's taking 20-yard sacks or he's getting stripped 20 yards in the backfield because this year, this year, he has 14 fumbles alone just this year. There is he's, only he's played one. 10 games. He's played 10 games. He's fumbled 14 times. There is only one game this season that he did not fumble. And there are five games that he's fumbled two times. 
it, and, and it happened again against Washington. And that's what I'm watching this game. And it, I see this happening. He's backpedaling. He's going back. He's going back. He gets stripped. It's something that needs to be talked about. You can have all the arm talent in the world, which he does, but he has got to have better situational awareness. He cannot go into these plays every time thinking I can do anything because of my talent. And that is something that we have seen now biting him. And don't get me wrong. This USC supporting cast is nothing spectacular. He is, he is not getting a ton of help. Like some of these other quarterbacks certainly are, but man, the turnover, it's not the, it's not the interceptions. That's not what we're thinking about, but he's turning the ball over a lot and that has got to change. So I want to talk about the the time to throw because that that is the most important thing in the NFL is getting the ball out on time, on target. I mean, ad-libbing and making big plays is a part of the game, but it's not, you know, down to down. It's not common to do that kind of thing. And Caleb Williams, again, is special, and I, I want to – put that in perspective but so far this season he's taken 27 sacks on 121 dropbacks uh last season he had 187 total dropbacks and only took 30 sacks so he's already almost at that 30 sack mark and like you said he's fumbled uh 14 times this season and so this year he has his lowest time to throw at 3.18 seconds. Last year it was 3.24, so you know, he had a little more time. The year before that it was three and a half seconds, so he had even more time. Uh so he's getting pressured. He has over three seconds to throw, which is a lot of time. And that goes into him scrambling too, because he's buying a lot of that time. So it's not independent of his scrambling ability. But we do need to see the process sped up a little bit. Like, his processing is good. He can read the field well. I want to say that, too. But it just seems like he's passing up the gimme for the home run. You know, he doesn't want to hit singles. He wants to hit home runs. And it's admirable. But when it's not working, you end up going on a skid and you get games like the Arizona game and the Notre Dame game and the Utah game where you're passing for you know, 219, 199, 256 and a combined two touchdowns, three picks. So I, I think he's played fine the last two weeks outside of the fumbles. I mean, he, he's looked good, uh, but... I just think we need, like, he needs to hit that back foot and throw it a little more often. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And I think we're going to, when we dive into it and, and see, you know, what did this season really look like for Caleb on a play by play basis, breaking his, breaking his game down. I mean, we're going to, we're going to learn a lot. I'm not, I'm not here saying, you know, like, oh my God, like, this is, this is, yeah, this is broken him. Like, he's, he's an un, you know, and that's how people talk. I think like it's, it's, it's like, he's either one Oh one or he's Zach Wilson 2.0. Yep. Like yep. there's no in between with Caleb. And I think like 
he just something that's going to be really important for him at the NFL level is being very coachable. He's going to have to operate within the parameters of the offense that he's a part of. He's going to have to be coachable. He's he's not going to be able to play hero ball as much as he's doing right now. Pat Mahomes can do that. He has earned the right to do that in the NFL. He's a multiple-time MVP, Super Bowl champion. Caleb's going to need to come in and be ready to acclimate to the the difference in the game that that he's going to be from the USC jump to the NFL. If he can, and this is, I mean, this pure conjecture, like we have no idea. Yeah. Like, is he is he receptive to coaching? Like, but that is going to be an important part of his game. The talent is not the question. The talent is has never been the question. The arm talent is one of one or or one of you know, a few that's, that's what it is. And that's why we've been so defensive about him, but the other parts of his game are real and they need to be recognized. So what one question, and I don't, I I'm going to put you on the spot is how are you feeling about the Drake may Caleb Williams discourse that's happening? Here's what I'm going to say. I have been very adamant since the summer and all the way till now that Drake May is not far behind Caleb Williams. I do not think that it is impossible that by the end of this season, after another season's worth of tape, I do not see it as impossible that Drake May could be quarterback one in this class. I believe Drake May is an extremely talented quarterback prospect. And I've said this many times, that he would be 101 in most other NFL draft classes. He might just be 101 in this class. I mean, I'm not I, I'm not at the point where I'm going to say that yet. I'm not moving him ahead of Caleb right now, but I'm also not going to say that I. there's no possibility that he could overtake Caleb because I think the talent is very close and it was very close. That's that's all all I needed to hear. That's my, that's, that's where I'm at. I like it. All right. Let's transition away from this very fun philosophical Cale Williams discussion and talk about some week nine. NFL action because it is time to gather around the campfire and reminisce of the campers of old on all grown up. As far as I'm concerned, there is no other place to start this week than a player that had one of the greatest rookie quarterback performances in the history of the league. C.J. Stroud, who we both loved. He was my NFL quarterback one, and if you didn't love Anthony Richardson as much as you did, Stroud would have been... He was your quarterback too, right? In he was NFL? my quarterback too, yeah. So, I mean, the we're not I'm not going to do the Bryce Young versus CJ thing. That's not that's not what this is about. This is about Stroud. 
and how he looked this week and how he's looked all season. But this was the coming out moment for him and a moment that makes everybody kind of stop and say, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, th- this guy is the real deal to the point where he is going to become, I think, one of the top quarterbacks in the entire NFL very quickly. It was honestly, like, unbelievable. It was a spiritual performance that he put on. I, I was sitting there, and I'm like, ah, Tampa Bay scored, you know. And I, I was thinking, I'm like, you know what? With the game C.J. Stroud's having, why can't he go drive down the field and score and and win this game? And then he does. And it's like... You know, I shouldn't feel this way about a rookie quarterback on the Texans that we had some questions about, you know. We were very – because a lot of these Ohio State quarterbacks, they're in such a a scheme-friendly system. And, you know, he had uh, Marvin Harrison and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Emeka Buka and, I mean – the list goes on before that year too, before last year. So you you have these questions before the season, and then he just comes up and answers every single one of them. And then, I mean, this game against Tampa Bay has the most passing yards in a game ever for a rookie quarterback. And then uh, I don't know if five touchdowns is a rookie record, uh, but I'm pretty sure it ties a rookie record. I mean, just an insane game. He made basically no bad throws. He he was making every throw look easy, even though they're extraordinarily difficult throws. It's just game after game, he is more and more impressive, and he's making the Texans a must-watch TV with guys that people were just discounting you know nico collins uh tank dell noah brown robert woods dalton schultz like it was the island of misfit toys in the wide receiver and tight end room for houston and this was gonna be a bad season why did you trade back up to get will anderson you guys are gonna stink this year and stroud is just uplifting this entire team and this game is an example of what he's done all season and a statement on this entire rookie campaign. There's a few different things that you said there that I want to talk about. The first thing is that, well, yes, we both liked Stroud a lot and he was my quarterback one. This performance through half of a season is not what I would have expected from Stroud. I mean, th- this is not a player that I, you know, said was, oh, this is a, you know, this is a generational quarterback or anything like that. This was not one of the highest graded quarterbacks that I've had over, you know, whatever, 10 years of, of watching the NFL draft, scouting for the NFL draft. He has looked better than I expected this early in his career. The other thing that you said is the the note about Ohio State quarterbacks, and I think this narrative has been getting circulated all week, which is like, this is the end of helmet scouting. Like, 
we were pretty adamant about that last year as well talking about shroud like we i think we both said like he is easily the best passer to come out of ohio state like no doubt like whatever you thought about fields there was no argument to be made that shroud was not a much better passer coming out of school than fields so that's why you scout the player don't scout the program and Stroud's showing you why, so let's not do that with any players anymore. But, yeah, I, I, it's it's so exciting, man, to see him transcending a situation that we thought was questionable, very questionable offensive line coming into the year. D'Amico Ryans and Bobby Slowick have really transformed things as well. I mean, they're getting the most out of this as well. It, it's a very good situation in Houston, and um, – that's not something we would have said coming into the year. That's that's why I put Bryce Young ahead of C.J. Stroud in my dynasty rankings uh, because I thought Carolina was a better situation. And look what the hell look what the hell's going on over there. Well, Houston is suddenly thriving. So, um, yeah, it really really exciting stuff. Really fun story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another guy that I wanted to talk about that has had three straight good weeks is Dalton Kincaid. This was somebody that was being overshadowed by Sam Laporta at the beginning of the season because Kincaid had a fine start. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't what Laporta was doing. Uh, But Kincaid has been picking up, I mean, 8, 7, and 11 targets the last three weeks, which is incredible numbers for a rookie tight end. And... I, I mean, he was both of our tight end ones in the in the off season, and he's carving out a role as their number two. It, it's so the, the, you talk about wide receiver one A and one B in Buffalo. It's like wide receiver two A and two B with Gabe Davis and Dalton Kincaid, with obviously Diggs being the wide receiver one. So. Uh, I mean, between Kincaid and Gabe Davis, one of them is going to have a big game, and Kincaid has been on the receiving end the last three weeks of the big game, and I wonder if maybe this is a sign of things to come. Yeah, I mean, this tight end class, it it was thought of as, let's see, a transformation of this position at the NFL level, but we've seen that before. We, we've seen these classes before that are supposed to revolutionize the position and infuse talent and all this. And that's what we're seeing. I mean, that's what, that's what it's been through the first, you know, half of the, of their rookie seasons. Laporta is a different, completely different story. I mean, he is like one of the best tight ends in the NFL already. And now you see Kincaid catching up a little bit, becoming that you know featured piece of this offense, getting a ton of targets, like you said. Uh, and you know he's not on the level of those two players, but even Michael Mayer getting a little bit more worked in on a week-to-week basis. Luke Musgrave had a touchdown this week, 50 plus yards. This is a really fun tight end group, and they're all sort of at different layer, at different levels. They're all sort of having nice rookie seasons all things considered so uh hopefully a sign of things to come in terms of you know let's let's get this position back to relevance let's not get a 12 point game makes you tight end four on the year type (laughs) of stuff but yeah cool stuff out of Kincaid for sure and then 
Do you, do you got somebody? Uh, no. Those are my I've, two guys. Yeah, keep, got, it, keep rolling. I got Rasheed Rice. Uh, he, he didn't have a huge game last week, but, you know, he's been working in to this offense. He was a Camp Dynasty favorite all through the season last year. He got downgraded a little bit during offseason scouting, and then he went to the Chiefs, and it's like, oh, man, <laughs> what are we going to do with Rasheed Rice now? You know, like, what if he ends up being the wide receiver one on the Chiefs? And I don't know if he's quite the wide receiver one on the Chiefs, but he is consistently getting you know, looks from Patrick Mahomes in important down and distance situations. And he, for a little while, it was like he's getting tackled at the one yard line, like every game. And now he's starting to get in the end zone a little more. And uh, he, he had 50 plus yards in three of the last four games. Again, the Miami game, he wasn't super productive, but I've just really liked what I've seen out of Rishi Rice so far this year. And he's been pretty trustworthy, and his hands have gotten better. I mean, he has two drops on the season, which is not too bad, especially since our biggest question with Rice was his drops. And I think, you know, when you're playing with Mahomes, it makes it a little easier. Yeah, Rasheed is going to be a, a lesson for me, I think, in terms of just don't get too bogged down in the fine details of a player i mean i think one thing that i learned with rasheed rice was a i think he was dealing with a bit of an injury last year that makes some of his tape look a little bit misrepresented of his talent because i think later in the year we started to question his ability to separate consistently and i wonder how much of that was injury related versus talent related um, and then the hands, which was a very valid criticism, but something that he has showed that he's clearly worked on or, or managed thus far uh, into his NFL career. So I think Rashi is going to be a player for me where, you know, this year when we talk about these guys, we get into the system, into the into the process. Um, just don't overthink it. Rasheed showed us everything we needed to see last year. He got the capital we wanted. He got to the situation we wanted. And I overthought it a little bit, and that's why we do this, man, because we, we learn and we get better every year. So, He had nine drops in his last year at SMU. Yeah, that, that was the big thing. The separation yeah. stuff was, like, secondary to, like, he, he had serious hands issues. And yep. so it's good it to see. It's yep. good to see. Hell, yeah. I, I do want to – I do have a name. I forgot about this. Is I, it Tank, it, though? It's not Tank Dell, surprisingly. Uh, I want to talk about... We don't need to dwell on this too much, but I, I want to talk about Bijan. We can dwell. Well, the reason I don't want to dwell on it is because I don't like talking about the Falcons. That's fair. And you, have, you, have, you have trauma. I Yeah, Ar Arthur Falcons. Smith has inflicted personal trauma on me, and now he has taken from all of us... Bijan's rookie season that's something that we can never get back because I don't I don't know what this is I don't know what kind of sick games he plays when he's making his game plan for each week but I I've I've gone on about this before and, and we've talked about this with players like Gibbs where it's like let's trust the NFL staffs let's trust that they have a plan in place let's trust that they have 
you know, they know what they have in these guys. And I think there's enough evidence at this point in time to suggest that Arthur Smith just genuinely doesn't know how to use his talent, the talent on his on his offense, like efficiently or productively. I mean, I, I'm not here to, you know, conjecture about why things are how they are or question Arthur Smith as, you know, somebody who you know is in no position to coach an NFL football team. But what I can tell you is you draft three skill players in the top 10 in three consecutive years. Why is it that every single one of these players is not getting utilized to their full capacity? That's when it becomes a problem. And now you're starting to lose games. And now people are starting to turn on you because at least we could defend him before by saying, well, you know, it's it's not fun for fantasy, but they are winning. Now they're not winning. And they have one of the easiest schedules in football this year, and they are four and five right now. We all need to hope for a very bad second half for the Falcons, even with the teams that they are playing being beatable teams. They look like a terrible team. Like, let's not pretend like this team has looked good for the last few weeks either. So they are at risk of losing some bad games down the stretch. And I think everybody on, you know, everybody in the fantasy community, certainly, but I'm talking just about Bijan right now. Anybody who is invested in Bijan's success as an NFL player is rooting for that to happen. We're all rooting for Arthur Smith's demise. Yeah, I I also have a lot on my mind here. I don't have a ton of like personal investment in in the Falcons and that that is mostly by design. But I just cannot believe the the lengths that Arthur Smith goes to to not feature these players because I understand at some point like you know feeding the hot hand or uh, changing pace you know splitting carries running back by committee I understand all that it all makes sense but when you have somebody as talented as Bijan he should at least be getting more carries than Tyler Algier. And this is not just driven by, like, emotion. It's He's averaging two yards per carry more than him. Like, statistically, he's a better player. And when you have a coach that is just ignoring that because... He likes Algier more or something. Like, I, I don't know what the reasoning is. I'm not going to pretend to understand. It just doesn't make sense when it comes to winning football games. When you have a player that is more efficient, that is more explosive, you should probably be more invested in getting him the ball. And... He fumbles last game, and he gets, like, one or two touches after that. And that's, you know, that's our favorite thing is when you get benched or frozen out because you fumble. Uh, and then, I mean, the 
the receivers and on the team, it's it's hard to to blame them because they're playing with Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke, and then they're also just obviously not getting schemed as first reads in this offense. I mean, Pitts has picked up a little more these last few games. He's been getting targeted, and that might be due to him getting healthier. Uh, but, I mean, Drake London should be getting red zone looks aplenty. He should be the first read. Uh, they ran, like, six red zone plays, and all of them were to Janu Smith or Tyler Algier. It's like, okay, I understand that you are smarter than everybody, but at some point, it's going to come back and bite you, and we are at that point. Well, and that, I mean, that's the play that got memed this week was the Jonu Smith end around where you're on the one yard line. You just took the most talented running back that we've seen in several years in the top 10 of the NFL draft. Not only is he not getting the ball, he's not even in the game. Right. So he's not even a decoy. Right. So it's, it's very, I mean, this is why I feel comfortable criticizing this. This is not the same thing as like Jameer Gibbs who's an undersized player getting up to speed in this offense, working behind a vet like Dave Montgomery, who has been very productive and very good this year. And Bijan is unquestionably the most talented running back in the room. And they started the season not giving him the ball. And then they just have not given him the ball the rest of the season as well. Like, that's that's the problem here, and I'm not gonna you know we can we talk about these other players obviously because it's relevant. I mean these are guys from the last three drafts, top players, but the Bijan thing was was the one that was supposed to be immune to this. Like right. whatever you want to say about London and Pitts, that's fine. The quarterback has played a role in that, of course, as well. But like the Bijan thing was like he's coming into this offense where Tyler Algier just had a thousand yards rushing. There's book no him. reason. Book him for a thousand yards. Yeah, there's no reason to expect that he shouldn't have an incredibly productive rookie season. And then he's getting out touched by Tyler Algier. I mean, it's then then why'd you take him? Exactly. <laughs> why'd you take him then? I mean, that's that's what I, I don't get. I I feel like this comes down to like Arthur Smith versus the GM, and Arthur Smith is obviously not making these picks. Because if he was, then this would be, like, one of the worst management decisions by a coach GM ever. But he I don't know if he's doing this to, to spite the GM. I don't know what's going on here. I've but... created some elaborate headcanons to explain <laughs> what is happening. My favorite well, one recently is that... He is trying to prove his worth as an NFL head coach by using the less talented players and still winning games. <laughs> that, that's the best thing I can think of. Is like, I heard, watch me win with Tyler Algier when I have Bijan. I, I heard on the, the Ringer Face football show, they're talking about how this is the anti-nepotism team. <laughs> <laughs> because Arthur Smith is a nepotism baby and yeah. he's, you know, the heir of FedEx and all that. And... So he gets all these players that have the the silver spoon, their top ten picks, and he's like, you know what, you gotta gotta earn it. And Tyler Algier has earned it. I, 
Jonu Smith. You know, he was with me back in the day. He's earned it. So uh, I, I thought that one was pretty funny. But we're all going out of our way doing flips to try to understand why Arthur Smith does what he does. There might not be a real explanation. We just have to keep, keep hoping that they continue to lose games. That's That's it. That's all we can do. All right. That is week nine in the NFL and week 10 in college football. So, man, like we said at the top, we're getting laid into things. It's starting to make a little bit of sense. It's starting to get a little bit fired up to start ranking these guys again, and that'll all be coming pretty soon. But we have a few more weeks of college football action to break down. If you enjoyed this week's episode, be sure to find us on X, formerly known as Twitter. I'm going to keep saying that because we're never going to let it die. Uh, That is at camp underscore dynasty and TikTok at camp dot dynasty. And also check out our YouTube channel if you are listening to us on the pod feed, just in case you want to see our faces and Colin's great little camp background right there with that nice little tent just makes me feel so alive when i see it it's It's warm and cozy very cozy at the campsite check that out on youtube that is camp dynasty and of course like follow subscribe rate review share the podcast feed which is still the bread and butter here at camp dynasty my my final thoughts are that i I have never prayed for a man to get fired, <laughs> but we're getting to that point Here with Arthur Smith. And let's see what Ben Johnson can do with this offense, baby. Ooh, okay. Don't give me hope like that. <laughs> I don't like that. All right. Thanks for stopping by Camp Dynasty this week, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>